How many people are here? 50. That's quite a lot, isn't it? Yeah. Oh, oh relax. Candle. Smell the candle. <laughs> oh, I love a scent of candle. Oh, I don't. <laughs> Design crime. <laughs> And welcome to the very first live edition of The Great Indoors. <laughs> this is the podcast which reveals everything you ever wanted to know about interiors and crucially explains how to make it work for you in your own homes. And this evening, we are very thrilled to be recording this special extended edition at the Staying Inn, which is a pop-up event organised by DFS, who have kindly sponsored this podcast. DFS handmakes every sofa to order and offers exclusive ranges designed in collaboration with brands, including French Connection, Jules, House Beautiful and Country Living. And talking of beautiful design, where we're sitting now is a fantastic space with five different room sets designed by Russell and Jordan of the 2LG studio. So there's lots of different sitting rooms. I can see lots of colour, cosy curtains, velvet and texture. It is a really cosy space for staying in. So we're enormously grateful to you live audience for taking the trouble to come out on this cold night and to you listeners for taking the trouble to download the podcast and all of you for subscribing, rating and reviewing us so far and sending us up actually straight into the top 10 and we hit number six we on did. the Apple podcast. Yes. Yes. <laughs> that was on our first week, so no pressure. No now. pressure and please don't stop. Keep subscribing, rating and reviewing. Tell friends, tell acquaintances, your children's friends, your parents, your neighbours. We really, really do read all those lovely comments and we take care about what you think. And we really want to take over the podcast charts and chat about cushions and paint and basically make it into like the nation's favourite pastime. That is our mission. On which note, Kate, what are we going to talk about today? Well, funnily enough, we're going to talk about staying in. <laughs> we did talk in the second episode very briefly on the new trend called JOMO, uh, which sprang up as the opposite of FOMO, the fear of missing out. So JOMO is the joy of missing out, um, which is just, that sums me up completely. I've actually got FOGO, fear of going out. <laughs> I'm, I'm basically a big fan of Josie, joy of staying in. That's me. So we're going to have a look at that idea of it's fun to stay in, particularly in winter, and what you need to create the perfect home sanctuary to make yourself comfortable at home. But before we dive in, such fun to have actual people here with us. Can I just ask, okay, you know, we did that whole, like, is grey dead thing. I've been inundated with messages on this. And now I've got, I think I've got about 50 people here, Kate's canvas. Who's with me? Who here thinks grey is dead? <laughs> All right. And who thinks Grey is just having a little lie down? <laughs> I'm winning! <laughs> Still divided, I say. Yes, all right. I think that may be the one we come back to again and again. So, on that note, let's move on and talk about Jomo and the joy of staying in. So, I've got had some facts here. According to new research from DFS... Us Brits are staying in more than ever before and 60% of us are saying that when it comes to the weekend, they prefer a good night in to a good night out. And that 
That is definitely me, <laughs> particularly in the winter. I too sign up to sing. And I think as well, because we're spending so much time and effort at the moment doing up our house, I want to be at home. It's all about, isn't it, being cosy. I mean, there's definitely, there's a talk in the paper at the moment about this return to maximalism. So it's all about nice textures, nice patterns, lots of layering. It, it, it is a kind of oh, winter trend. Somebody's dropped a fork. <laughs> I know, it's lovely. Everybody's like munching away, glasses of wine chinking everywhere. It's great. I mean, this is the kind of thing... You know, you could just imagine this space here could be my... Well, actually, couldn't, my house is big, not that big. There's like 50 people in here. But that's the idea, isn't it, of having friends around, creating, you know, a nice vibe at home. I suppose for me, that's what it's all about. This whole um, staying in is actually getting my friends to come and visit me. I don't like cooking. Um, <laughs> but what I do when I invite friends over is just bring a dish. Works really, really well. Oh, oh come round for dinner and bring your own food. Great, I'm so up for that. Do remind me to come. <laughs> Only if you bring a dish. Oh, right, OK. So, you know, you can do it on lots of love. You know, for me, my home isn't very precious. Again, all my friends have got young families, so the kids are on the sofas, they're having cushion fights. I'm cool with that. And the way I design my home is to just kind of encourage everybody to hang out, have a nice time. Open plan spaces work really well. So I think the way we design our homes, you know, and continue to do this open plan thing and create very sociable spaces, it's encouraging people to think about hanging out at home more. It's also, we've become much more relaxed about it, haven't we now? Because I think no one really has a dining room anymore. That room has slightly died. Uh, the formal the dining room. room yeah, it? people <laughs> who do have a dining room, it's got the pram in it, it's got the laundry in it. They pretend it's a home office. It's not. They work at the kitchen table. So it's much more that idea of you're either eating informally in the kitchen. So if you've got space in your kitchen, can you get a table in there? Can you get a breakfast bar in there? Or eating in the sitting room, um, on your laps in front of the TV or, or even having a table in there. And I think, actually, I did a feature on that a couple of years ago that, and correct me if there's French people in the audience, but I was told that French people absolutely will not have an eating kitchen. They don't like it. They don't want to be near the cooker and the washing up and all the sort of stuff that goes with it. And they will put a table in the sitting room if they don't have a formal dining room oh, because they want that sort of relaxing and eating space separate from the work well, do you space. think that might come back then? Do you think we might start chopping up our open plan spaces at some point? Well, the, the whole open plan thing is quite interesting because people who have small children want open plan because they want to keep an eye on the kids. Mm. And then I've got teenagers. Um, once they get older, you, you really want the walls back up again. <laughs> <laughs> because it's fine when they're five and they go to bed at seven o'clock and you can reclaim the sitting room and watch the news or something like that. And then when they're 13, they're still in there at 10 o'clock at night. And, you know, you've got nowhere to go. So I'm personally a fan of a wall, actually. So I suppose it's two things to think about um, when you're furnishing your home. One way is layout, creating nice sociable spaces. And then the other element is creating spaces where you can retreat. Mm. <laughs> and in your case, be on your own. Yes. The ultimate luxury. <laughs> okay, so last episode, we discussed where we find design inspiration. We talked about that in great length. But this episode, I want to like dig a bit deeper and start discussing where we go to find like really good tried and tested advice and information about how to decorate our homes because this is something I've seen 
changed so rapidly in the last few years. So, for example, my career sort of started in 2000, I guess, when I got my first job in a magazine. I worked for BBC Good Homes magazine, um, and I was their homes editor, and I was in charge of writing features to help people shop, decorate, lots of tips and advice on how to do up their home. And it was part of quite a big editorial team where people were fact-checking. We were all experts in our field, and we published a monthly magazine, really just to empower people. Um, I left the magazine in 2005 um, and I went freelance and became a freelance stylist. Then obviously there was a bit of TV involved, but now, you know, my career has moved, my publishing career has moved sort of away from print and more into the internet. And I thought this would just be something quite interesting to discuss. Where do we go now to find that really, really good advice? Well, and I started off in newspapers as a news reporter before the internet was invented. (laughs) No, no. I'm that old. Um, And so it was all done on the phone or going out of the office. I mean, that was news rather than finding interior styling. But I suppose, yes, my inspiration back then would have come from glossy magazines. People said to me when I, because I have done that journey slightly backwards, having gone from print to online. And I remember when I started the blog in 2012, and all the other people who had blogs were saying to me, oh, we're desperate to get into print. I was trying to to cross into almost the more modern world, and everybody else wanted their name in print. So it was an active decision of yours to leave print did you see the future being online did you kind of get that glint do you know I'd love to sit here and say I saw the the future being online I had no work (laughs) (laughs) I started the blog actually as a kind of online CV I'd been writing about interiors let's just put that in there Mad About the House is the name and it's the UK's number one blog but read globally isn't it all around the world well ish yes how many people read your blog a month uh, it gets about 170,000 hits a I mean, month. that's so, massive. Um, but the, the point I was going to make, so everybody wanted to go from online blogs into print. And then my old newspaper I worked, used to work for, The Independent, which was then the iPaper, syndicated the blog. And that was really interesting because I had started off writing the blog in a, a sort of journalistic way. It was quite reporting. Um, and it did quite well because there weren't so many interiors blogs at that stage. But as it went on, it became much more an informal chat. And that, I think, is what people like now, the idea of, of blogs and Instagram, because you can chat to people. It's much more approachable. I th- personally think it's fantastic. I'm absolutely 100% the whole the whole blog scene, because I think it's made it very democratic. But um, not all those people are experts. Some of them are just amateur enthusiasts, which comes with its pros and its cons, doesn't it? I think we're learning that, though, in the same way that when, when the news went online, you know, you would just read it on the internet and think it was true. You weren't necessarily thinking about who was writing it and whether they had a particular viewpoint that they wanted to get across. And gradually, we've now sort of begun to understand that. And I think readers of interiors blogs and where they're getting their advice from are starting to look much more about, well, that is a really pretty room, but who's done it? Do they know what they're talking about? And just we've all had to become slightly more discerning about where we get that information from. And more more experts are moving on to online all the time. And I love that, as you say, that democracy. So if you're on Instagram, you can follow Gooby, who make chairs for, I think it's about, 
three and a half thousand pounds, the beetle chair. Or you can follow Medina from Grillo Designs, who will show you how to, you know, hack an IKEA wardrobe or chair for 20 quid. So that is fantastic that there's so many more places now. Interestingly, um, Michelle Gunderhin was the editor-in-chief of Elle Decoration. So she'd been, I think, over 10 years she'd been Yeah, more easily. But, you know, big, long-standing um, print editor. And since moving on from there, I know she's got her Instagram and her blog and it's beginning to grow and emerge. But she recently hosted the Amara Interior Blog Awards. And talking to her after the event, she was sort of saying she was blown away at the calibre of the bloggers and saying, you know, how completely talented and inspired and committed they are. So I thought that was a real stamp of approval for the blog scene as a whole. I think they've also had to get more expert. I say they, we, I am being one, um, because there's more competition. So you, you know, you have to really sort of know what you're talking about now. And I think perhaps it's not just enough to post pictures of pretty rooms. You have to know why they work. So, I mean, I think it's all to the good. I'm actually, people are often saying they think social media is a bad thing, but I think certainly in our field yeah, I think a it's a thing. good thing who are your favourite blogs then have you got any I haven't got time like, to read blogs um, <laughs> <laughs> I've always liked Emily Henderson's blog the American, American blogger yeah. I think probably because it's just something a bit different she's um, very hands on as and well, she's very she? hands on yeah. and they're beautiful that she does lots of renovations that are happening in real time and she has a really lively personable way of writing mm. that I enjoy I really like she, she is actually a friend of mine but that was after I started following her Bianca Hall French for Pineapple she's really on the money when it comes to training she painted her sitting room blush pink about five years ago. She's now over it. She's gone on to the next thing. She's done and it we've, cream, hasn't We've she? talked oh. about colour a lot, so we don't need to revisit that. But she does incredibly clever DIY. She's upcycled also a sideboard, which I think was from Ikea. And someone came round from a magazine and went, oh, that's amazing. Is it Jonathan Adler? She really oh, wanted to say yes. Stamp of would have got, yes, would have cost her about 10 grand if it was. So she's clever at colour and clever at making things. Another place to find inspiration. TV shows, huh? What do you think? Oh, I don't know. <laughs> well, it's obviously something close to my heart because I've been in and out of TV. I think I got my first television job in 2005. But it has been used a bit prior to that. It was a bit of a comedy thing, wasn't it? Because changing rooms, as much as yes. it started, that idea of us being able to see design and see designers, it wasn't really about the advice or anything helpful. I mean, it was a sort of horror show of... of <gasps> It, it wasn't done for advice, was it? Changing rooms. Yeah. No, but, you know, I think this is the thing with television is it's not there as open university. It's there for entertainment. And that has to be the number one remit for TV shows. And I know a lot of interior design programmes have got really bad rap for the interior design fraternity for making light of the profession and not showing it in a true light. But at the end of the day... People do not want to watch paint dry. You know, in actual fact, when interior design happens in real time, yes. <laughs> it's really boring. It takes ages. And I know from my experience in television that there is a budget and there is a lot of people on site and it has to happen in two days because they can't keep everybody there for two months. So you do end up with this slight slapdash feel. But then, yes, it's entertaining. But I also, I mean, the changing rooms thing, it was massively emancipating for people. I mean, you know, before then, it was really quite magnolia. People didn't have it's lots true. of adventurous you got to ideas. See. Yeah. 
And okay, you know, Lawrence Orellan Bowen might have pushed it when he started stapling zebra skins to people's ceilings, but actually... You know what? I think it was a really good idea, and it was perhaps, as you're right, the first time people saw bold colours and interesting ideas. I think personality. But it would have been nice, maybe, if there was just a little sort of bit to camera about why we've done this. This works because if you've got a space that you haven't got room for a modular sofa, then, you know, try having two matching armchairs or something. But do you think that's where the Great Interior Design Challenge did come in and answer that? Because it was a competition, people were doing designs, and then myself and Daniel as judges would be there to explain why something worked. But it's gone, (laughs) Sophie. But you're right, that was a little bit more teaching and helping people. So there needs to be more of that. But again, talking about giving advice, you do courses now. Oh, you're giving me a plug. Well I'm done. giving you a well plug. Done. Yeah, no, it's just another way to get our advice, isn't there, is, is courses. And yes, and I do workshops and lots of other interior designers hold masterclasses. Kelly Hoppins just launched an online masterclass course. Yeah. I think there's you can sign up to six different courses which cover everything about... How to decorate your yacht. <laughs> how, to no. decorate with be- how to decorate with tape <laughs> in six different ways. So, you know, she's very much jumped on that. I'm currently working on my online course that I'm going to do in spring because, again, it's just making great design accessible to people wherever they are yeah. and at whatever time. And then so. finally, the podcast. You know, here we are. We are the first professional interior design podcast imparting all our knowledge and ideas. So who knows what further media we have in the future. To share. They won't have invented it yet. (laughs) Coming up shortly, how to plan a living room and then, of course, the joy that is design crimes. Thank you to everyone who has sent in your design crimes. Please keep sending them in to us. They are such a hoot. We're across social media, but particularly on Instagram, where I'm Sophie Robinson Interiors and she's Mad about the house. She's mad about the house. <laughs> you are They're indoors. Right. <laughs> so now we're going to talk, every episode we've talked about planning a different room in the house. So obviously it was very appropriate this evening that we talk about the sitting room, seeing as I see before me an array of people on comfortable sofas and armchairs. You've got your feet up there, have you? Oh, you oh, can't oh, Oh, look at that. You see, that's my kind of sitting position. Shoes off, feet Feet on the sofa. So, living rooms then. Are you going to start? What's your key point? Whenever I think of living rooms, I sort of get smacked with the massive dilemma of the television. It's a problem. It's the first problem, isn't it? It's the first thing anyone ever asks me. And I I don't want to be gender stereotypical, but it is true in nine out of ten cases. If I go to a house for an interior consultation and they're both in, which doesn't happen very often, but if they are, she will collar me by the front door and say, you've got to hide the telly. And he'll get me in the kitchen and go, I really want a big telly. <laughs> <laughs> and it, it's true. So it is, it is a, but, but we've all got to, and I love watching telly. Yeah. I absolutely love it. I don't hold with watching things on laptops and streaming it. I don't know how to do that. We don't have a huge telly, but we have one yeah, and I like we, watching we it. We have a modest sized television. Yeah. So something's got to be done because it does... It just looks ugly. I mean, for me, in my house, I've actually got my TV set on top of a vintage radiogram, which is dated from the 1950s. It used to be like just basically a giant radio because it's just a nice old piece of furniture and I can keep all the sky box and the apple box and everything else inside it. And then the rather modern telly is 
on top and I quite like that. Otherwise, I think integrating it into a bespoke piece of furniture, just getting it built into, which is what we've done in my mother's annex, we had a bespoke piece of cabinetry made, so there's bookcases all around and the TV fits snugly within it. So we've got that very classic arrangement of a fireplace with alcoves either side and the television is in an alcove and we've got two shelves for all the boxes. Although the last time I was talking to my builder, he was quite sniffy about the fact that we still had a DVD player. and He was like, nobody has a DVD no, player. nobody has a DVD player. Well, I have. <laughs> I'm so, I don't know how to work have it, got but I have one. Probably, yes. A bit of old videotape. <laughs> but what we've done is, so between the two shelves, we've had all the sockets put together in a row like that. And then a piece of plywood painted exactly the same colour as the wall, which we've pushed to the back of the shelf. So all the wires and sockets are behind it and the boxes sit in front. So you can't see any wires at all. I mean, it's a bit of a nightmare when you need to unplug something or get at something. But we but don't usually do that, Exactly. Do we? Once that stuff is all plugged in, yeah. you interfere with it and you'll peril. So we have the modem there as well and, and the DVD player and the video player and the, the wireless. <laughs> so that's one way you can do it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, that's good. And then another good tip as well is just to paint the wall behind the TV a dark colour. Yeah. Is a great way. It's when it's against a very pale colour that that black square really pops yeah. out. So dare I say it, feature wall, but it's one Or, or a half painted wall that comes up to around the television height dark mm -hmm. because that takes in the sofa, you can do that. Um, and the other thing is, have you seen that fabulous? frame TV. What is that television where you can sort of program it to show works of art or pictures? Oh, that's the Sony. Is that a Sony one? This is Samsung, I oh, think. Sam so Does anybody know? Is it Sony? Or it's it is a Samsung. Samsung. There you go. Um, so you can do that. And that's quite a good idea. So I went to a client's house and she had this amazing picture on her kitchen wall. And I was like, is that a Banksy? Blimey. I should have charged her more. Um, and then one of her children came in and pressed a button and it was CBeebies. Oh, no. Um, isn't but that a little bit up there with like having a fake fireplace, like flickering fire fake? Well, is it? I mean, obviously, maybe it's your choice of picture, but you could just have a nice picture on is the wall kind of so like that it's not a like black... A glowing, no, no, glow, it, honestly, it looks looks like a picture. Like you could presumably upload it with a picture of Mona Lisa um, and it would it looks like a picture. You can't tell. There's no buttons or anything, no backlighting. I thought it was really clever. Yeah, it's quite clever. Yeah, yeah, it's quite clever. She's not convinced. Can you so, tell? <laughs> <laughs> so that's TVs. Um, fireplaces. You've got to honour your fireplace. You know, you need to recognise it. And so fabulous piece of artwork or a really lovely big mirror would be something to put over yeah. the fireplace. Um, which then also brings us into the alcoves. You've touched on it already. That's where your TV sits. And I think in a lot of, you know, classic, especially Victorian houses, yeah. that's where they go. Um, Typically, I see a lot fitted cupboards below, floating shelves above. And here I'm going to have a little rant because I think when you're planning your living room, you have got to plan sensible storage. You need storage for stuff you don't want to look at. That's cupboards with doors on or drawers. What are we not looking and at? And you need shelves. What are you not looking at? All <laughs> Board games. Oh, okay. Yeah. I don't know, maybe magazines and, you know, if you're still collecting DVDs and CDs, <laughs> they can go in there for sure. <laughs> well, I've got rid of the CDs now. <laughs> and then your floating shelf, they should be for display, not for your collection of Lonely Planets and Jamie Oliver cookbooks. Those floating shelves either side of the fireplace, they're a real focal point in the room. They should be styled within an inch of their life and look beautiful and stunning. And I see it done so badly. Up and down the land, 
Well, maybe they're we'll... creaking under scrotty paperbacks and DVD collections. I like a scrotty paperback. <laughs> <laughs> it all goes with my Jomo, doesn't it? A scrotty paperback and a glass of wine and a throw over my feet. See, I don't think you're very good at this, staying in business. On a more practical note, we should, as we're sitting on a very comfortable sofa, think about when you're buying your sofa. So there are a few key points to note. And one, I think an awful lot of people, I talk to lots of sofa manufacturers and I expect someone here from DFS will tell me that, you know, people don't seem to measure the space that the sofa's going to go in. And you see these huge modular sofas in small rooms. So that's really key. Think about, first of all, and I always say this to people, Who's going to be sitting on that sofa oh, and what that are they again. doing? Again? Well, do you know what, though? <laughs> because this sofa that we're sitting on is really Which is comfortable. a lovely grey velvet sofa. It's quite grey. Sorry. Do you want to yeah, say that again? Grey. I know. Don't worry. Um, I'm not staying here for too long. Um, <laughs> it's got lovely scrolled arms. It's lifted off the floor on little legs. It's quite classic. It's quite classic. It's also what I would call a conversation sofa. Oh, so that's very apt since we're in Since we're having a conversation. As opposed to those big sort of slouchy sofas, which are lovely for eating popcorn and watching films and lying with your feet up. And I think you need to be realistic about if you are a family that sits in your sitting room and has conversation, maybe it's not a television room, then this is a fantastic sofa for that because it's got what, really nice cushions. So you yeah, upright. you're sitting upright, you're chatting. Whereas um, that's lovely modular sofa that's just over here, this big L-shaped sofa where everybody's really kicked back and relaxed on. Is for your television oh. sofa. And the other thing is just maybe use masking tape on the floor for the dimensions of the sofa so you get a sense of how much space it's going to take up because comfortably you need about a metre around it. If yeah, well, that goes for everything, it. doesn't it? Because I see people with really oversized coffee tables as well that you kind of can't manoeuvre around. Yeah. So my tips with small living rooms are furniture on legs really helps. If you can yeah. see a little bit of floor the under the sofa bigger. or chair, yeah. it helps the space look bigger. Glass furniture, a glass coffee table rather than a solid coffee table helps, you know, the eye... Or you can floor. get lots of those ones quite fashionable at the moment, sort of like a metal basket. What? Um, you know, it's, it's kind of strips of metal. I know what I mean. Oh, you yeah, know what I mean. I kind of do know. You don't, do yeah, you? Yeah, no, I do. Like a basket weave, but not. you can get them in cane, but also made in metal so that you can see the light coming through okay. it, basically. Um, we've talked a lot about lighting. That's obviously key. But I think in a sitting room, more than any other... You obviously want an overhead light. You obviously don't have to have an overhead light. I would say that you... <laughs> I would say you, that is one room where you don't necessarily have to have a glaring pendant. I might have been only halfway through my... <laughs> sorry, sorry. <laughs> go on, go on. Lots of people have an overhead light. Yes. And that's fine if you want something to switch when you come in or if you're in that room in the daytime on a dull day, a big overhead light can be a good idea. But... In the evening, <laughs> when you might want more ambient light, so you can have lamps and floor lamps. If you have a central pendant light, I was going to say, then you want it to look very beautiful when it's off as well as when it's on. So you could have something quite sculptural, which adds to the decor of the room, not just that solitary swinging light bulb or paper lantern make a feature of it if you have one and clearly don't invite Sophie round because not only will she not bring her own dinner she'll criticize your light fittings as well 
<laughs> and then I thought we could just touch on a little bit of styling, how to style your living room. And one thing I see done quite often is pictures hung a little bit too high and looking a little bit lonely. People that little tiny, that high, little tiny yeah. painting bobbing around a big wall all yeah. on its own some. So my tip with that is either to have, you know, again, think of things in scale and proportion, either have a really lovely large piece of artwork or group all your pictures together and put them on one wall rather than dotting them around the room. Create what we call a gallery wall has a lot more impact. Nice and low, just above the sofa or the console table. So, well, there's a rule of thumb. It wants to be, the middle of the picture wants to be about eye level and obviously if you're six foot three and you live with someone who's five foot two then there's you don't need to have an argument about it but somewhere <laughs> roughly in the middle is where you're looking for so low over the sofa but if that's a, a wall where people are standing in front of it aim for eye level with the middle of the picture as a rough guiding point no higher gosh i'm exhausted when are you <laughs> Does anyone need a stretch? Well done, everybody. You're doing really well. Let's give the audience a round of applause. Right, we're wrapping up soon, I promise you. OK, my favourite part of the show. Shall we uh, come up with some design crimes? And I think since we've got this wonderful... Like, are you still alive? I think some of them might fall asleep. <laughs> this wonderful awake and alive audience. Shall we find out if they've got any design crimes they'd like to share? Own up. I'm Sarah. Hi. So my design crime, I'm in gardens, is when you see these amazing kitchens with these lovely big doors, bifold or otherwise, and then you see the fences and you see the garden. And I see them on Instagram all the time. <laughs> I think I it think... might be mine. <laughs> so what you're saying is if you're going to put this lovely glassy extension on with the big doors, you can't stop there. You've got Absolutely. to continue the design into You've the got to take the design space. out into the And I, I interviewed a long time ago Sally Cullen of John Cullen Lighting, and she said, you know, people spend all this time working out their kitchen lighting and they have different circuits, and it's on dimmer switches so that there's pendant lights over the table, the whole sort of atmospheric thing. And then they stop dead at the glass door, so it becomes a sort of black hole when it's dark outside. Reflects back at you. Yeah, and she was saying it's really key, even if you only have a couple of very simple lights just outside the back door, if that's where you're eating or having friends for supper, obviously someone's done the cooking for Sophie, <laughs> um, then just a few lights just outside the door will gives cast view, nice shadows, it? gives you a bit of a view and stops it just kind of stopping dead with a big black wall. Absolutely, so, and they yeah. shouldn't be the security lights. No, because no, they have a very cold lights. blue light, yes. <laughs> Anyone else? Hi. Um, I, what I wanted to... And apologies if this has been asked before or mentioned, but because this was about living rooms, it was the matching three-piece suite. <gasps> oh, could you hear the rumble around the room? I, I do have a bit of a problem. I thought you were about to say, I suite. do have a three-piece suite. <laughs> <laughs> No, I, I, I tell you why I don't, why for me it's a design crime. It's to do with thinking about your, your space and how you want it to look. For the same amount of money, you could buy a sofa and two chairs that complement it. And I think that's what it is for me. It's just a slight lack of imagination when it all matches like that. Because also you then have to have 
what the designer gave you with the sofa and maybe those two chairs in that shape didn't suit you or maybe you wanted two sofas and a different kind of chair. So it, for me, it's about thinking it through a bit more and just bringing in a bit more of your personality or suiting the people who are going to be in the room. Have you got a three-piece? I was about to say, I need to answer one of these questions in a minute. Oh, sorry, have I done more? <laughs> Everything you say, I've got nothing to add. But let me have the next one. Okay. <laughs> Any other questions? This will be aimed at you, Sophie. Oh, good. Uh, there you go. What would you say to people, especially we're all from Ireland here, who are afraid to use colour in their home? You know, they kind of play in it safe. And how would they introduce it? How long have you got? Yeah. <laughs> I think if people are really afraid of colour, then you can dip your toe in. So, for example, it could just be done in the accessories, you know. But do a splash. Please don't just buy a couple of cushions, you know. Buy a really brightly coloured rug, like get a large square of it in your home or, you know, change your bed linen from white to a fantastically bright colour. You're not having to put a lot of investment in that, but you're getting quite a lot of impact. Um, and then you can start layering up. You can then start adding the artwork and, you know, even just switching your drum shades on your lamps from something that's, they usually they're just white or cream, aren't they? And swapping them for like a nice, juicy, bright colour. It's just seeing lots of opportunities to add colour in lots of ways without having to do that absolutely heart-stopping, fearful thing of buying a pot of coloured paint. I which I don't understand why people have a problem with that, but they seem to. I think that bed linen is actually really good advice because you do change the sheets every week. So you can really have an experiment and see how that colour makes you feel. Because we do all react in, in quite a visceral way to colour. Sometimes we really like it. Or you can... Work out if it makes you feel rested and calm or agitated if it's too bright. And actually just going in for big plain colours on your bed is a really good way to experiment because if you're comfortable with it there, then you can start thinking, actually, maybe I really would like a sofa. And rather than doing that thing of buying a sofa in a sensible colour and adding lots of cushions, you could then think, right, I'm going to go for it with the sofa in a really bright colour. And you can bring it down with sensible grey cushions. Why not, would you want to do that? Well, it, if you just wanted to tone, not everybody wants all the colour all the time. <laughs> we got, oh, we, you need a microphone. Oh, we're going that way. All oh, right. Oh. Hello, it's Wayne. Um, you mentioned in previous podcasts that Scandi was dead. And with Scandi brings birch ply. I'm a carpenter who works with a lot of interior designers. What materials do you think I'll be building with in the future? Oh, yeah, the whole birch ply thing's been massive, hasn't it? It's really interesting because bespoke furniture used to be a lot of MDF. Well, before that, it was probably pine, wasn't it? And then we had the whole MDF craze. And I think one of the problems, one of the hangovers of the makeover shows has been that MDF has mm. got quite a bad reputation. But actually, it shouldn't. It's a fantastic material when used well by professionals such as yourself. When sanded, the edges are sanded down and filled within an inch of their life. And it's and pa painted and correctly. And painted correctly. Yeah. It is actually a fantastic material. Um, so I know people have left it behind in favour of birch ply. But birch I ply is very beautiful, though, Well, it's as a, a quite material. an uncompromising look, though. It's, I mean, the thing with MDF, yeah. you can paint it, you can do all different kinds yeah. of finishes with it. Birch ply is a raw-looking... I mean, you're talking about it in its raw state. In, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's quite an industrial raw But I, look, I think dark wood is a look that's coming back. I don't know whether that's... I mean, it's much more expensive, isn't it, to, to build something out of walnut, but there's a definite... People have been using a lot of pale wood and light oaks, and actually now there's much more of a look dark wood 
dark wood, well, that's painted, isn't it? But there are dark tables in here. Yes, yeah, stained And this colour, staining colour. it. So, so more stains then. Yeah, maybe it will just be about the finish for a bit and making it a dark colour. away from the, the light woods and into yeah. the dark. Yeah. The Lady in Leopard. Um, my first job was training as a fashion buyer and my very, very lovely old boss used to say, it doesn't matter what you're wearing, really. You just need a good handbag, good shoes, good watch. No yeah. one will know a thing. If you move house or um, it's your first home and you've got a whole living room to do, where should you apply that technique? Where can you scrimp? Where can you splurge? Well, I'd say if you've got to do the whole thing, like say, like all your relatives are coming for Christmas, the whole living room needs doing. Where should you spend the money? Where should you save? Well, I'd go spending my money on a sofa, I would, because you're using it and you're sitting on it and there is nothing worse than a very, very cheap sofa that isn't comfortable. I'm not saying you have to spend loads of money, but you have to get a sofa that is comfortable. And if that means spending a bit more, I think that's worth investing in. So I'd start there, just because it's something that affects your experience of that room and you're in front of hard frame with hard arms and you can't recline in it. Nobody will want to go in. And then I think I would say the lighting because good lighting can hide a multitude of sins. So if you are, you know, maybe putting in a dimmer switch or having lots of low level lamps, people might not notice if the floor is not everything you would like it to be or if you haven't had time to paint all the walls. So get a comfortable sofa and loads of low lighting and no one will ever know the difference. <laughs> and then finally, go hard on the colour. Because I think, you know, it's a yeah. well-known interior design fact that when budget's really, really tight, you've got to pump up the colour. Because where you're not spending money on beautiful finishes and, you know, it might not be the most beautiful velvet, it might not be real brass, it might not be beautiful designer wallpaper, but if you soak in the colour, then again, that distracts from the fact that things are more affordable. So you've talked a lot about seamless spaces. So what would be your best tip for sort of taking those spaces from one to the other? Does it come down to the accessories? Does it come down to the floor or the walls? So what would be your best tip for that? About I'm, how make, I, how to make the rooms flow? Yeah, like taking, say, your kitchen to the outdoor living. So going back to the question before. People are always ask me a lot. People seem to be very worried about how to get a cohesive look in their houses. But actually, I think if you if you live there and you're decorating with things you like, there will be a cohesive look because you will automatically be drawn to things in a, in a certain style. And so you, I think you will find that there is a colour palette that flows through or the shapes of your accessories are sort of similar. And I think it's almost something that you don't need to analyse too much. I mean, yes, you want your, your colours to sort of go together from room to room. But actually, when it comes to the accessories, you probably find there are certain things you like that you're always drawn to and there will be a sort of overall cohesiveness and seamlessness to them. Yeah, if you've really nailed your sense of style and your look and your colour palette, then it will flow from room to room. I think what is to be avoided is looking at every room in the house singly. Yeah. So, you know, it's almost like going back to the changing rooms thing of like, well, this is a Moroccan-themed bedroom and this is a Scandi-themed yes. living room and now we move into the tropical bathroom. You know, people don't really decorate like that, thank goodness, anymore. Um, it's more about coming up with an overarching look, an overarching colour palette can really help, which helps link those rooms. So, for example, in my own home, 
you know, one of my favorite colors is this very, very rich, saturated cobalt blue. And you'll find there'll be a little bit of that throughout my house. Now, I've actually done the hallway in the cobalt blue because that's kind of the anchor that holds all the rooms together, if you like. And then I'll make sure that there's a little bit of that color pulled in to the other rooms, all the colors complement that color. Um, something we talked about on the last episode was my love of yellow. Now, I couldn't have yellow as a wall color, but I love it as an accent, and you'll see it dotted around my home. So by coming up with quite a cohesive color palette can help link the rooms without you feeling like you've got to decorate the same theme over and over. And I think this is one of the reasons why I'm so anti the whole gray thing. Sorry to do full circle and bring it back. <laughs> she to just that. can't let it go. It's because people get hooked on that hue and then they just do it everywhere and every yeah. room in the home feels the same. And I think it's nice to differentiate the space. Think about what's it used for? How do I want it to feel? And then slightly tweak the look um, throughout your home. So it all feels different. What I always think with rooms is like, think of every room as a different member of the family, but they're essentially all, now hold on, how do I say that? Related. Related. <laughs> yeah, they're all related. <laughs> I've yeah. run out of puff. I've run out of words. I was going to say one thing, actually. I was, I went on a work trip to Finland last week and we went to visit the house of Alvar Alto, who did lots of the furniture for Artec. He's done lots of very famous furniture and his studio house workspace was filled with lots of the furniture he had designed. Very mid-century moderns, lots of birch ply. And then there were these chairs that were really dark wood and very ornate and they kind of stood out in the room because everything else was so sort of pared back in Scandinavian and these were heavily carved and the guide who was taking us round she said oh you're all going to look at these chairs Alvar Alto bought them in Venice when he was on honeymoon with his wife and they loved them so much that they brought them back from Venice and they had them in their house forever and used them every day so that is something that cohesively doesn't fit, but it tells a story. It tells you a story about the people who lived there and why they had those chairs. So again, I don't think you want to worry too much about does it all go and does it all fit? Because it will. It will tell your story of, of your house and the people that live there. So we could talk all night, couldn't we? I can't believe we're actually nervous about doing this stuff. <laughs> We've talked about it. So we could talk all night, but these patient people have homes to go to. And uh, Kate needs another glass of wine. I really do. Uh, <laughs> next time, we'll be discussing how to decorate or update your rented pad with plenty of tips for homeowners too, looking for a refresh rather than a redecoration. And we will be planning the spare bedroom in time for... And I'm, I'm not going to say it. Are you going to say this? C no. word. In time for Christmas! <laughs> <laughs> So for now, a huge thank you to DFS for sponsoring the podcast. A huge thank you to Kate Taylor, our producer, for keeping us in line. And a hugest thank you to all our listeners, all of you who've come tonight and everyone out there in the ether who's listening. Thank you so much for listening to us and we'll see you in the great indoors. Oh my God. Oh, it's exciting, isn't it? It's like a big sleepover. <laughs> I wish I wore my onesie. I nearly did wear my onesie. Do you have a onesie? Of course I have a onesie. Do you? Yeah. I don't have a onesie. <laughs> I can't have you down as a onesie type. <laughs>